The Deserted Mansion by Elizabeth Gaskell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. First published in Fraser's Magazine, Volume 44, July 1851. A few years ago, a picture appeared in the exhibition of the Royal Academy which peculiarly impressed my imagination. It represented an ancient ruinous dwelling, surrounded by dilapidated gardens set in sombre woods. The venerable trees, the moat filled with nettle and rubbish, the broken fences, green stagnant waters, the gable turreted many-windowed mouldering mansion, a perfect medley of chaotic architecture the visible silence the spirit of supreme desolation brooding over the precincts filled my mind with involuntary sadness while fancy conjured up strange wild tales of other days in connection with the scene i could not shake off the belief that reality was portrayed on the canvas and writing an account of the various pictures to a friend who resided in the country i dwelt on this particular one and my singular impressions respecting it when I next received a letter from my friend, she remarked how unaccountable my fancies were, fancies which were, however, based on the foundation of truth. She went on to say that reading my letter to Mrs. L., an octogenarian in wonderful preservation, that lady informed her of the locality of my deserted mansion, and also of its history, the picture being actually painted for Mrs. L.'s son, and the tale attached to it, to which my friend eventually gave me in the lady's own words was as follows fifty years ago the mansion of st elan's wood was reckoned ancient but it was a healthful vigorous age interesting and picturesque then emerald turf lined the sides of the moat and blooming flowers clustered within its sloping shelter white drapery fluttered within the quaint latticed windows and delicate climbers festooned them without terraced walks and thick holly hedges were in trim order fountains sparkled in the sunshine and blushing roses bent over and kissed the clear rejoicing waters fifty years ago joyous laughter resounded amid the greenwood glades and buoyant footsteps pressed the greensward for the master of st elan's had brought home a bride and friends and relatives hastened thither to offer congratulations and to share the hospitalities of the festive season lady st elan was a very young wife a soft-eyed timid creature her mother had died during her daughter's infancy and her father an officer of high rank in the army being abroad a lady whom we shall call sabina by whom she had been educated accompanied her beloved pupil now lady st elan to this new home the death of lady st elan's father and the birth of a daughter eventually mingled rejoicing and mourning together while great anxiety was felt for the young mother whose recovery was extremely tedious the visits of eminent physicians who were sent from great distances evinced the fears which were still entertained even when the invalid roamed once more in the pleasant gardens and woods around alas it was not for the poor lady's bodily health they feared the hereditary mental malady of her family on the maternal side but which had slumbered for two generations again darkly shadowed forth its dread approaches slight indeed had been the warning as yet subtle the demonstrations of the deadly enemy 
but enough to alarm the watchful husband who was well acquainted with the facts but the alarm passed away the physicians came no more and apparent health and strength both mental and physical were fully restored to the patient while the sweet babe really deserved the epithets lavished on it by the delightful mother of the divinest baby in the world during the temporary absence of her husband on affairs of urgent business lady st elan requested sabina to share her chamber at night on the plea of timidity and loneliness this wish was cheerfully complied with and two or three days passed pleasantly away st elan was expected to return home on the following morning and when the friends retired to rest on the previous night sabina withdrew the window curtains to gaze upon the glorious landscape which stretched far away all bathed in silver radiance and she soon fell into a tranquil slumber communing with holy thoughts and prayerful aspirations she was suddenly awakened by a curious kind of sound in the room accompanied by a half-stifled jeering laugh she knew not how long sleep had lulled her in oblivion but when sabina turned round to see from whence the sound proceeded imagine her horror and dismay at beholding lady st elan standing near the door sharpening a large knife on her slipper looking wildly round now and then muttering and jibing not sharp enough yet not sharp enough yet she exclaimed intently pursuing her occupation sabina felt instinctively that this was no practical joke she knew instinctively the dread reality by the maniac's eye by the tone of voice and she sprang from the bed darting towards the door it was locked lady st elan looked cunningly up muttering so you thought i was so silly did you but i double locked it and threw the key out of the window and perhaps you may spy it out in the moonshine you are so fond of admiring pointing to an open casement at an immense height from the ground for this apartment was at the summit of a turret commanding an extensive view chosen for that reason as well as for its seclusion and repose being so far distant from the rest of the household sabina was not afflicted with weak nerves and as the full danger of her position flashed across her mind she remembered to have heard that the human eye possesses extraordinary power to quell and keep in abeyance all unruly passions thus terrifically displayed she was also aware that in a contest where mere bodily energy was concerned her powers must prove utterly inadequate and unavailing when brought into competition with those of the unfortunate lady during a continuance of the paroxysm sabina feigned a calmness which she was far from feeling at that trying moment and though her voice trembled yet she said cheerfully and with a careless air i think your knife will soon be sharp enough lady st elan what do you want it for what do i want it for mimicked the madwoman why what should i want it for sabina but to cut your throat with well that is an odd fancy exclaimed sabina endeavouring not to scream or faint but you had better sit down for the knife is not sharp enough for that job there there's a chair now give me your attention while you sharpen and sharpen and i'll sit opposite to you for i have had such an extraordinary dream and i want you to listen to it the lady looked maliciously sly as much as to say you shall not cheat me if i do listen but she sat down and sabina opposite to her who began pouring forth a farrago of nonsense 
which she pretended to have dreamt. Lady St. Elan had always been much addicted to perusing works of romantic fiction, and this taste for the marvellous was, probably, the means of saving Sabina's life, who during that long and awful night never flagged for one moment, continuing her repetition of marvels in the Arabian Nights style. The maniac sat perfectly still, with the knife in one hand, the slipper in the other, and her large eyes intently fixed on the narrator. Oh, those weary, weary hours! When at length repeated signals and knocks were heard at the chamber door as the morning sun arose, Sabina had presence of mind not to notice them, as her terrible companion appeared not to do so. But she continued her sing-song monotonous strain until the barrier was fairly burst open, and St. Elan himself, who had just returned, alarmed at the portentous murmurs within, and accompanied by several domestics, came to the rescue. Had Sabina moved or screamed for help, or appeared to recognise the aid which was at hand, ere it could have reached her, the knife might have been sheathed in her heart. The knife was a foreign one of quaint workmanship, usually hanging up in St. Elan's dressing-room, and the premeditation evinced in thus secreting it was a mystery not to be solved. Sabina's hair, which was as black as the raven's wing, when she retired to rest on that fearful night, had changed to the similitude of extreme age when they found her in the morning. Lady St. Elan never recovered this sudden and total overthrow of reason, but died, alas, it was rumoured, by her own hand, within two years afterwards. The infant heiress was entrusted to the guidance of her mother's friend and governess. She became an orphan at an early age, and on completing her twenty-first year, was uncontrolled mistress of the fortune and estates of her ancestors. But long ere that period arrived, a serious question had arisen in Sabina's mind, respecting the duty and expediency of informing Mary St. Elan what her true position was, and gently imparting the sad knowledge of that visitation overshadowing the destinies of her race. It was true that in her individual case the catastrophe might be warded off, while on the other hand there was lurking, threatening danger. But a high religious principle seemed to demand a sacrifice or self-immolation in order to prevent the possibility of a perpetuation of the direful malady. Sabina felt assured that were her noble-hearted pupil once to learn the facts, there would be no hesitation on her part in strictly adhering to the prescribed line of right. It was a bitter task for Sabina to undertake, but she did not shrink from performing it, when peacefully away to a better world, bequeathing the mansion-house and estate of St. Elan's Wood to Sabina and her heirs. In Sabina's estimation, however, this munificent gift was as the price of blood, as, but for her instrumentality, the fatal knowledge would not have been imparted. But for her, the ancestral woods and pleasant home might have descended to children's children in the St. Elan's line, tainted indeed and doomed. But now the race was extinct. There were many persons who laughed at Sabina's sensitive feelings on this subject, which they could not understand, and even well-meaning, pious folk thought that she carried her strict notions too far. Yet Sabina remained immovable, 
nor would she ever consent that the wealth thus left should be enjoyed by her of hers thus the deserted mansion still remains unclaimed though it will not be long ere it is appropriated to the useful and beneficent purpose specified in mary st elan's will namely failing sabina and her issue to be converted into a lunatic asylum a kind of lunatic almshouse for decayed gentlewomen who with the requisite qualifications will here find refuge from the double storms of life assailing them poor souls both from within and without but what became of sabina and what interest has your son in this picture asked my friend of old mrs l as that venerable lady concluded her narration for if none live to claim the property why does it remain thus your justifiable curiosity shall be gratified my dear responded the kindly dame look at my hair it did not turn white from age i retired to rest one night with glossy braids black as the raven's wing and they found me in the morning as you now behold me yes it is even so and you no longer wonder that sabina's son desired to possess this identical painting my pilgrimage is drawing towards its close protracted as it has been beyond the allotted age of man but according to the tenor of the aforenamed will the mansion and estate of st elan must remain as they now stand until i am no more while the accumulated funds will amply endow the excellent charity were my son less honourable or scrupulous he might of course claim the property on my decease but respect for his mother's memory with firm adherence to her principles will keep him with god's blessing from yielding to temptation he is not a rich man but with proud humility he may gaze on this memorial picture and hand it down to posterity with the traditionary lore attached and may none of our descendants ever lament the use which will be made nor covet the possession of this deserted mansion end of the deserted mansion by elizabeth gaskell